Welcome to Deep Talk, Master Your Skills in Grant Writing, a podcast hosted by the team grant acquisition at the University for Continuing Education, Krems. With this podcast series, we want to help you to master your skills in grant writing to make it an easy and fun task within your research. Each episode deals with a different topic relevant for the application for funding within the largest research and innovation program worldwide, Horizon Europe. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the podcast series Deep Talk, Master Your Skills in EU Grant Writing. Today, we focus on the preparation of proposals applying for funding in Horizon Europe. We answer questions such as, what is first the EU topic or the project idea? Should I go in as coordinator or partner? Should I do a coordination and support action or a research and innovation action? Who contributes to proposal preparation? Should I hire a company, an external one for proposal management? Yes or no? And where do I start? How do I approach a proposal for EU funding? All these questions and beyond will be answered today by our honorable guests, Dr. Anna-Maria Kaiser and Dr. Albert Kraler. I will shortly introduce those two guests to you. So Anna is course director and associate professor at the Center for Cultural Property Protection at the University for Continuing Education, Krems. As an ancient historian, she specialized in cultural property protection through her military training. In 2013, she was awarded her doctorate at the University of Vienna with a thesis on the Roman military. This year, 2022, she applied with her team for the Horizon Europe topic, protection of artifacts and cultural goods from anthropogenic hazards, to investigate the protection of cultural heritage from human-made damage using remote technology and artificial intelligence. Albert, our second guest, is Assistant Professor in Migration Studies and Co-Director of the Center for Migration and Globalization Research at the University for Continuing Education in Krems. He is a member of Europe's largest migration research network. He holds a PhD in Political Science from the University of Vienna and a joint degree in Political Science and African Studies. Last year, 2021, he applied with his team for the Horizon Europe topic, Estimates of Irregular Migrants in Europe, to form the stakeholder network measuring irregular migration and related policies. With this, it is my pleasure to warmly welcome you both, Anna and Albert. We are very happy to have you here today. We will build up the interview on the three phases of uh, proposal preparation. So first, phase one is proposal preparation. Second phase will be the proposal writing. And the third phase will be the proposal submission where it gets really hot and emotional. So let's come to the first question to Anna. What was first for you, the EU topic? Or did you have to adapt your project idea accordingly to the topic? Hello, Katrin. I'm very happy to be here in your podcast uh, today. Um, in my case, it was definitely the project idea. I had a topic in mind, um, a topic I wanted to research for the last few years. And based on this, my personal um, research, Desideratum, I checked the Horizon Europe calls. And once I found one into which I could insert my idea, I went for it. That's basically how it was. I mean, during the application writing process, some adaptations were necessary, of course, to my initial idea. Um, but for me, it was always clear that I would not write the proposal without my personal research interest in there. Albert, what was the case for you? Topic or project idea first? Well, actually, in my case, um, it's the case that I've been researching those both topics that are um, that have been included in the call, namely estimation of irregular migrants, the uh, estimation of the irregular migrant population in Europe, 
and regularization. So we we transfer of uh, uh, of irregular migrants to the legal um, legally residing population by adjusting their legal status by give, providing amnesties and so on. But I've been involved in two major efforts uh, about ten years earlier. Uh, and this project uh, has the call, in a sense, has been a follow-up, uh, has asked for asked for a follow-up project on uh, these earlier efforts. And um, in regard to one of these, actually, in regard to both strands, we have been trying um, from the old teams uh, to um, basically find funding. Um, we had done a smaller scale uh, project on regularization. Uh, after the initial um, study that we did in between 2007 and 2009, actually already. Um, so it was uh, actually really an opportunity to just revisit what we have done and and build and develop it further. Um, so in a sense, the, the interest was also always there. Um, and the only thing uh, that came a little bit as a surprise was that the two topics of quantification of the irregular migrant population and regularization were in the same call. Um, otherwise, it was pretty much what uh, was my research interest and the interest of a couple of people uh, that were involved in, in earlier um, efforts. So as your project was a follow-up to previous projects, um, it was also clear probably that you will apply for a CSA, right? Well, actually, the, um, the formal or the funding instrument uh, also came a little bit as a surprise to us because the call text uh, itself, if you look for it, the, it asks for original research. Um, it also asked for building a stakeholder network uh, in, in, in our context, uh, for example, to build a stakeholder network uh, around irregular migration data and with statistical offices and so on and so forth. Uh, but it also uh, asks for the development of methods and to study the effects of regularization programs. So it's it's actually quite research oriented, and in 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 the end, it's it's a mix of both RIA uh, and the CSA. So we just basically accepted it as as a. As a uh, as given that this was the funding instruments that the that the commission for whatever reason chose um, and went for it. Anna, why did you choose to go for a research and innovation action? Well, in my case, it was was basically the same as with Albert. Um, there was no no active choice from my side. Uh, it, the call was in the research and innovation action. Um, my topic. Fit in in a number of um, calls. Actually, I picked the one that fit best. Um, it's the same here as with Albert. They they asked for basic research, but to build networks, uh, to develop methods and tools, and test them on sites. So yeah, basically no no active choice on my side. Um, whereas I was happy to have the word research in there because I uh, I come from a field where I have been doing basic research uh, for years and this is something I've missed over the last few years and I was very looking very looking forward uh, to to go back into that and do some in depth research. Why did you choose then to go there um, or to start as coordinator for an EU project? Because I had this very special idea, this very clear idea of what I wanted to do in my research project. Uh, that's why I went in as coordinator uh, to be able to tailor the project around my research interest. And also as coordinator, I got to develop the consortium in a direction that I wanted to have, which means that in the case of um, fighting anthropogenic threats for cultural heritage, um, I got to include law enforcement bodies that I might not have otherwise found into such a project, and they are paramount for fighting the illicit trade of cultural heritage, which in the end was the baseline of that call. So those were the two two motivating factors for me to go in as a coordinator, my idea, and then to get the consortium right. Have you been afraid of going there as coordinator? Maybe not afraid, um, don't like the word, but I always saw it as a huge challenge, um, especially because I've never been involved as a partner in Horizon Europe, Horizon 2020 before that. So it was really the deep dive starting immediately as a coordinator. 
Albert, how is it with you? How did you feel about going there as coordinator? Well, I definitely knew what the challenge was about um, because I, I did um, participate in, in several uh, Horizon and other framework programs before, and I also coordinated a, a project under FP6 and one on, under FP7. And uh, concretely, um, I had a good idea of whom to work with uh, and also wanted to, to shape the consortium. Um, and then I was also approached by people who said they would be really keen to be involved, but they don't have the time <laughs> and, and so on. So I, it was a little bit of, of also seeing that I probably would be uh, the one, the best place to have a capacity or also to get support in developing a, a project proposal. Um, and uh, bent for it, therefore. You both actually applied for a project with more than 10 partner organizations from different countries. So it's quite huge. Um, also, you mentioned, Albert, you had the CSA and the RIA connected in the call. How did you approach to build up your consortium? Which criteria did you think were relevant for the decision to include somebody as part? Well, some, some criteria were actually provided by the call itself so it asked for a number of countries to be covered i think it was 10 eu countries that should be covered so it was clear that there would be the role of a country partner that could be combined with a role of uh, yeah with a specific um, methodological or other kind of expertise um but uh, that was one major reason why also the the group uh, grew so, so so big so uh, and and then i looked out for specific uh, thematic and methodological expertise and um, there are some partners who just uh, are in the consortium because they have for example in our case uh, uh, they are working on on the on new quantitative methods on on on, uh, on methods using um, digital tools and so on and uh, or with uh, large-scale databases like passenger data we are also working with And other, other partners only have a, a country role and, and some are involved in, in a dual capacity. So we uh, eventually ended up with, with, with 17 partners. And then from previous experience, I also appreciated it that we uh, also made sure that we have partners from different types of organizations. So we have um, a civil society organization involved, one international organization, uh, two think tanks, um or actually yeah two think tanks so it's 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 quite a mix of of types of organization and that also um makes the overall um product or output output better because uh i don't know where the, the think tanks are much better um equipped when it comes to communication also their ngos when it comes to communication and stakeholder engagement Whereas um, academic uh, people at academic institutions usually are well less close to that side of things, and and um, but on the other hand can can go more into that what um, when it comes to methodologies and and uh, other research specific specific research expertise. Especially when you mention you've chosen um, your partners upon their methodology and research um, activities or experience. Where did you find them? Was it from the follow uh, from the previous project which you were included, or did it form through the partner no network itself? Where did you find all those partners, or did you research in the EU database? Where did you find them? Well, about I think 90% of my uh, of the partners in the projects, um, I think, come from a number of previous projects uh, that I was involved in, but not necessarily the original ones 10, 12 years ago. Um, some of the people involved then, they are no longer interested in the topic. They have moved on to other topics uh, and have declined an invitation. Um, some I might not have taken for other reasons. Uh, and, uh, and then um, I was involved in other CSA Uh, actions um, under Horizon 2020, one, for example, on cross-migration in which Danube University uh, was also involved, which was a, basically a stock-taking exercise on migration research 
as a whole, uh, and, and yeah, also an exceptionally ambitious kind of undertaking and crazy call text, uh, if you think about it. Um, but um, it in in that in that in that project, quite a few people were involved in that uh, project, and then they um, I have also been involved with some of them in the MISCO network of migration research that you have mentioned earlier. Um, so, um, but in to generalize, I have um, I think I only um, we only added maybe one or uh, I think it's just one partner that I had no contact with uh, so ever before. So uh, they all come from my uh, from the wider institutional and personal network. And that, uh, that I think was also actually quite important for developing the, the project because there was trust. We knew what people could do, but also what they would not be able to do and what we would need to take care of and what we could uh, basically outsource to partners. And I think that, that sort of knowledge uh, and also trust is quite essential in successfully, yeah, finishing, uh, reaching the finishing line. Anna. You actually, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I just add on that that I yeah. totally agree that trust is is paramount to to finish the whole um, process of applying for a project. And in my case, it was just the other way around. I had to almost ninety percent of my consortium no prior contact, and I, um, yeah built the consortium um, up after a series of uh, brokerage events from the European Union um, based on what the call wanted to have. Um, it was special. Uh, uh, it listed a number of criteria that had to be followed, um, topics that uh, were needed to be covered. Um, so, so I built the consortium, the bridged uh, heritage side and cutting edge technology side. Um, and then included partners with access to pilot sites to be able to to beta test uh, um, the developments, uh, the the methods, and also the tangible outputs of the project. Um, in the end, we had twelve project partners, and I also tried to um, distribute them um, in a geographical balance in in Europe and have a, a balanced consortium. But the actually. One and only partner I've, I've worked with before, um, in a series of projects. Um, they were in from the very start. And after that, it was like, um, build the whole new consortium. And what Albert just mentioned that, um, everything was based on trust and went very well because he knew who could supply what and who could be trusted with, um, I guess, writing parts of the proposal or, um, uh, contributing to them. Um, this, this trust was something that we had to build up and that took a very long time. Lots of meetings, team meetings online and online and online again and rehearsing everything. So at one point I was um, desperate because no writing took place, but it was always going over the topics again and defining what's the meaning of cultural heritage? Why do we have to protect it? How can I bring artificial intelligence in there, et cetera, et cetera. So it took us ages to build the trust and to really start writing and get everyone on board. Maybe, Katrin, uh, if I just may add to this uh, another consideration which was important for, for our projects. Um, perhaps first, I really think that if you already have an, uh, a network that you can draw on, that really saves a lot of time because otherwise you you don't you need that preparation to, to, to get it going and to get a a basic understanding of what this is this holiday endeavor could be about and what i've seen also from from other pro projects where a more mixed group or a group that came together that maybe knew didn't know each other so well before um is that this continues then also in the project um itself so that that yeah and then the the lack of trust or when the existence of trust helps or or may also create some obstacle. It's just more work um, in, in a sense. And you earn more work or you have to do things in a different way. Uh, you have to have more meetings just to get uh, this, to shape this to, and to continue shape this this understanding during the project. 
for for us, I think, and that, that that's really also uh, related, I think, to the funding instrument of the CSA. The other uh, consideration was also who are the important players in the field. So we need to get some people, also just for strategic reasons, we need to to get them on board. That would have been my second question. Um, if you have chosen some partners for strategic um, reasons, so obviously yes. Yes, and uh, although I should also say that some of our, uh, of our partners that also have their own strategies how to deal with um, different requests they get. So our uh, NGO partner, for example, in, in regard to, to REARS, uh, what they usually do is that they agree to be part of all. Uh, um, well, at, at least as least as they... Uh, if the proposals um, basically meet their overall strategies and, and uh, um, outlook. Um, but if that is so, they agree to be part of all because they have an interest in, in being involved in the research projects that look and on their at their target group uh, and don't want to um, yeah, privilege one or the other um, consortium. Was it clear from the beginning who is in the core consortium, who is network partner, partner as advisory board, for example? Was it clear from the beginning or were there a lot of discussions ongoing in the consortium? On my end, it was actually relatively clear who was would be in the core consortium. And then uh, we developed, well, some there were some surprises um, also in terms of work package leadership. Their initial plans didn't work out, and then we we looked out for alternatives. But it was relatively clear who would be in the core group. Um, but I uh, and, and and then the others were um, well, they are still um, real partners, full partners um, in in the project. Um, so, uh, but with different roles, and that partly also depended on how they. Um, basically lift out uh, their role um, in, in their proposal. And I, I guess this can, can also still change during the project implementation that, that some partners, although they might have in terms of the, uh, the person months that they got, uh, might have a more minor role, they might play out much more uh, importantly in shaping the, the whole project than, than we initially foresaw. So there's some, some flexibility there. And um, in terms of her advisory report, uh, I was keen really to have people whom I also knew uh, and uh, where it's not about um, just um, signaling to reviewers that we have thought of different stakeholders, but really that we have people who can also really be door openers to different types of stakeholders um, and could support us in in, in the implementation of a, of a project and would also not mind reviewing one or the other paper. Um, so have an active role and and um, yeah, we are, we are currently, we do have six advisory board members and we are looking at expanding it to about eight, but that's, that's about the size we, we want to keep. Anna, as you mentioned, you build up your consortium from scratch. How did you approach the partners? Did you approach them with a project outline? What was included in this? Um, did you have a summary on your project and also including work packages? What they already so they already knew what to do? As I said, I met most of them online in the European Union brokerage event. Um, that meant that I had already set a very brief outline of the project idea online so to to start interaction with interested parties after that i followed up with extensive online meetings one-on-one um, -on -one with the possible uh, project partners to get a better idea of where the expertise really was how they could contribute to the project if they would like to contribute to the project in the way i wanted them to contribute um i after forming the core consortium out uh, of the, the relevant um, possibilities, I 
drafted or wrote a one-page proposal that was then sent on um, by me to, to um, possible additional partners, but also by the core consortium partners to um, whom they had in mind um, that had included a structure of work packages, of, of outcomes, so, so the, the basic main information. And um, at this point, we tried to find partners that had access to pilot sites where we could test the developments. Uh, within the project and that turned out to be really tricky and difficult because the baseline of the call was fighting illicit trafficking of cultural heritage and also fighting illicit excavations of cultural heritage and we had countries especially um, where we had contacted the ministry of culture and they were like brilliant we join you if you kick out the um, illicit excavation things and illicit trafficking because if we join you as pilot side partners then we would admit that we have problems with that and we don't want to do that um so the it was a huge problem actually to find those pilot side partners that took until the the very last week before the deadline to have them on board wow i can imagine there were some nerves on that <laughs> so Uh, we formed now the consortium, had a lot of discussions ongoing. Um, now we go into the proposal writing process. And we know we need a lot of um, effort to be here efficient. We need a lot of resources. Um, so how did you actually form your grant team, Anna? Did you hire an external management firm or um, did you have this in your research team, all the roles included? from grant writing to organizing to management to talking with the consortium, communicating with all the partners. How did you approach and who was included in your grant team? Well, basically, you're talking to a one-woman show um, who, who managed to, to get the proposal manager on board. So this was my, my lucky charm that I, I hired a, a Barcelona-based company. They're called We Do Projects. Um, I met the the CEO at the um, brokerage event as well. And we had a great 15 minutes talk. And once I knew that I was going to apply as coordinator, I got in contact with him. Um, and yeah, he said, yes, he would do the proposal management. And I was really happy about that. And it worked out terrifically well in the end. Um, otherwise, it was me writing the project, the proposal um, without the trust of the project consortium. And um, my my team at university being engaged in other projects, um, it stayed with me. So I basically wrote the, the application on my own. Can you explain a bit tasks of this uh, proposal management firm? So what did they actually do during the proposal writing phase? So they made sure that... Um, They sent out the, the meeting uh, dates, regular meeting dates, uh, supplied the links for that, made sure to remind partners of deadlines um, when they had to, to supply information. They did the uh, budget calculation with a tool they had developed to have it as transparent as possible and to also show the partners that this is um, everything's fair in the uh, budget um, distribution. Um, they had great experience in... Um, writing proposals when it comes to the say um, formatting part and um, how to phrase certain things um, they they did the layouting of the the whole uh, proposal so um, in the end it looked like a an, an a high class advertisement for the best ever project um, with graphic design, etc. So they, they really made a, a show of all that to have the surroundings of the, the contents that I supplied in the best possible way and support with um, what I would call day-to-day -day management um, of, the, of the partnership. Albert, how was it with you? Who was included in your grant team? In my case, it was it was quite different um, because well, I couldn't have done it as a as a one uh, person show um, because I just uh, yeah was too too involved in too many other projects and and, and other activities at the same time. Um, we just had done a, a recruitment process earlier, and there was one uh, um, second-rated uh, 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 ranked candidate there uh, who was 
second ranked not because she she was not uh, good enough or but but uh, that was more related to her availability um and and that was for me then uh, a natural person to to turn to and my head of department sort of agreed that this could be a good choice so there was was someone available um who then also was quite interested in in uh, yeah in in going for this enterprise and uh, endeavor and uh and she was i think recruited about 6 months uh, before we uh, called that line. I think we start, had started uh, discussions with her already a little bit in advance, uh, two, two months perhaps uh, in advance of, of the call deadline. And generally, I think we had started to think about the proposal uh, for about one and a half years, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But I must also uh, yeah, admit that 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 coincided still with a pandemic or we 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 second third or fourth leg of a pandemic so and and this this uh time somehow is a little bit vague in my memory so i'm not entirely sure she as a grant she as a major uh contributor to the to the grant um proposal writing um was was there as of as of um april and um, before that, I, I had developed an initial concept already in in talks with core with some core partners that I I think included some three to four persons, and uh, and then of course there there was you and <laughs> the grants acquisition office, and I think that that really was helpful. Uh, and and for, for me, it sounds a little bit that you took over. Uh, some of the roles that the, uh, the grant management team in the case of honor um, th that company took over in terms of of, of compiling bu budgets uh, also uh, communicating to partners and, and getting some documents um creating a team's environment where to to work and so on so I think that that was of incredible support. And then there were uh, two other people involved in the department in all the bits of the process. Um, so I, it was really, um, but it was, if I think of the core team, it was probably me and my project manager and uh, you as the third uh, important person, so to say. I think three to four persons um... Or Anna, how was it with the external firm? How many persons were there included? Well, I had dealings with, I think, four of them. But in the end, I had uh, one guy who was the main responsible and who actually took over everything. So in the end, it was us, us two working on the, the proposal in, in very tight coordination. When did you start, Anna? Because uh, Albert now mentioned the idea came up one and a half uh, years before the deadline and the actual work started six months before the deadline how was it in your case something like the same i would say i mean this this idea i wanted to research was definitely there for for more than a year maybe two years always in the background but without the possibility to really focus on it and um, i remember katrin that i came to you something like september 2021 to to give to talk things through with you uh, give you a first idea of what I wanted to do and check if this was um, worthy of Horizon <laughs> Europe uh, an application and um, yeah so so my call closed mid-April 2022 two days after Easter so we are at the same time span here I think starting to really go into it half a year earlier the brokerage event I got most partners from was in December 2021 so four months before the final deadline and as I said then it was a long time it took us to form that core consortium with a lot of talking and no writing at all that took until February 2022 and then it was writing 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 and rewriting etc so there was really really uh, compressed time um, to to do the the real stuff and the writing of the proposal i still remember when you came into my office and asked should i do it as coordinator or not <laughs> can i do it <laughs> i was just yes yeah, sure <laughs> go for it 
Okay, so um, how did you, I mean, you now mentioned that you both had a proposal manager or a grant manager who was communicating also with the partners. Um, but did you use kind of a collaboration tool? How did you guarantee that everybody is working on the same version of the proposal, on the same version of the work plan, same version of the budget? How did you guarantee for that? Um, and which tools did you use? Well, I think... I don't know how we reached that decision, but maybe it, it was just because Teams was introduced as the university kind of digital environment uh, a little earlier that we that we decided to use Teams for that purpose. And we knew that we anyways, we needed something where we could work on the same documents. And um, that I think really was, was very useful where we had both closed and open channels um, closed that would only be restricted that would be restricted to the core team uh, at Danube University to to revise things uh, and develop uh, initial sketches and and then um, put it into an, into an open channel for for command and then we asked also um, uh, work package partners to well uh, consortium partners to develop work packages in teams. And I think it overall went very well, uh, apart from initial difficulties of some partners uh, to access the environment. And of course, one has to, to get familiar with it. I think in, 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 in regard to the budget, it was a bit more complex that we um, I think we still hadn't got um, the best templates available to really um, serve the different needs that there are and that there and those needs in the in, in the proposal writing phase are perhaps also a little bit different when it comes then to to monitoring so uh, we had different versions of a budget in, eventually and and then of course where there's also privacy issues we couldn't share um, budgets with the exact salaries of people but uh, had you know, institutional rates and of course that that is that creates also confusion uh, about um, how many hours do certain institutions get, and 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 then there is a change in the team that impacts on on everything. So, so I think there's there's um, there's still ways to develop that that better. But I think it's also a little bit unavoidable that it's it's an iterative process and. At least in, in the project implementation, you need to have a, a solid um, budget and a monitoring uh, system available, but you also need to um, be able to produce different uh, representations of a budget for different purposes. Uh, I think that's that's one lesson that 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 we learned um, to some extent also the hard way, I guess. And then uh, you develop also this tool for entering all the information in the participant portal um, that I think was very helpful also. And yeah, and especially with such a large consortium, there's always some partners who don't know the participant portal so well and would have um, quite some difficulties in first getting access, second, uh, being able to find the right buttons uh, to to find when the right places where to enter all the information. Anna, how was it with you? Have you kind of a centralized uh, person who actually did this partner information um, or entered the partner information in the participant portal or was it done by each partner? No, we had the central version. It was done by the project manager as well. So they collected mm -hmm. the data. And I think there was one partner, um, the one I mentioned before, the Italian ones um, with whom we've cooperated in so many projects before. They had huge experience also in Horizon 2020 and with the, uh, that portal. And they said they were the only ones who said we want to do it ourselves because we are quicker than filling your tool and then you fill it in the online tool. But the other ones were done by the project management. And how did you communicate with partners? Which tools did you use? Or was um, this also done by the firm? It, this was also we do uh, organizing all that. So the, the meetings were done by our teams and um, for sharing and working on the same documents. Um, they, they had a SharePoint um, access they created. And so everyone could always work on the same documents on the uh, 
actual updated documents um, also at the same time. Um, the only thing that was not always shared or actually never shared with the partners was the budget file. It was sent out to the partners once it was ready, which was also one week, I think, before the deadline. Um, and they had to return their comments directly via email. This was the only thing that did not work um, via the, the SharePoint platform. And also in the last stages, the, the final version of the uh, proposal were removed from the open space on um, SharePoint and only available to the project manager and myself for last um, corrections or fine tuning because at that point, some of the partners had grown very active um, and started to change parts of the proposal they thought should look different. That's why we decided to, okay, keep working with the old one, do whatever you want, delete, etc., but not on the one we are working at and the final one that's being fine-tuned now. Albert, do you agree on that? Yeah, well, um, I think we actually didn't have too many uh, change uh, requests or because um, it got at, at one point it got so complex that the usual partner would just not have an oversight of what uh, what really needs to be there and where things would best uh, best fit. So it we we actually worked mostly with comments. And we, yeah, we asked people to comment centrally in one uh, Teams document. And then we also took the liberty to ignore certain, um, well, quite a lot of comments. And uh, we somehow addressed and in, incorporated them so they were not uh, useless, but uh, it was basically on us to decide on, on what to take and what not to take. But um, the core writing would not would not have have functioned, and um, the the other thing was that um, we realized we only that was one of the uh, lapses that that was related to there was initially also a vagueness about whether it would really be a CSA or a rear. Um, so we started off with a, with a target figure of 40 pages, uh, which is the target page uh, for the number of pages for the rear. But a CSA has to, has only 25 pages. So <laughs> there were some hard cuts to be done uh, quite late in the process. So we had far too much text. And um, that basically means reduction, reduction, reduction of complexity and that cannot be done with um even five or six uh people in the writing team that that needs to be really as yeah me and my my project manager who did that that was tough and i want to ask you um what was the first section you actually started to write with from your proposal was it the budget in alignment with the objectives and activities? Or was it more the impact, excellent part, communication, dissemination, exploitation? Which part did you start? Anna, you go first. I had a very clear idea of the work packages I wanted to have in there and the topics that are to be treated in the work packages and how they interact with each other. It's just kind of a flow chart, how the whole thing is, is held together. That was the, the starting point for me. Um, followed by the, the excellence section and the methodological part. And my personal nightmare was the impact section, which I had to I don't know, rewrite how often and the last rewriting took place after the proposal check of the FFG one week prior to the deadline. And at that point, I think finally the penny had dropped what the European Union wanted to have in that impact section. And um, yeah, that that was my very last thing I did. And yeah, I was happy that the penny dropped at last because this was until the very end my nightmare. Would you have wished to start it with this section earlier? <laughs> um, yes, of course. I would have wished you to be finished with everything else much earlier. So the initial plan was to be finished with the whole application one week prior to Easter holidays. And yeah, please stand Easter in front of the computer, my project manager and myself. Um, yeah, but I... I couldn't have done the impact before that because the penny hadn't dropped. So I, I, I really, yeah, it, it wouldn't have worked before that. It, it really took the, it took, I don't know what, um, to happen that 
said the penny to drop and at that moment from that moment on it worked I couldn't have done it before that I tried but it's it didn't work so I got comments from the FFG like yeah looking very nice but no also from my project manager looking very nice but no <laughs> Albert how was it with you and the impact actually I just tried to remember and, and I have little memories of that um but partly I Partly, it's probably also that that for me it um, seemed to 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 go very smoothly. Um, we didn't do it at the, right at the beginning. We didn't we didn't do it right at the end. Um, we also got uh, some critical comments from from the FFG, but uh, it's somehow the overall research objectives or project objectives and the impact uh, section they aligned very well from the from the beginning um I, I would have to look up when exactly we we started drafting this but um, to to go back to your original question the first thing was a was a a concept of about two pages and then a tentative work package structure which we revised so was again uh, very much also um what actually do we want to do about what's the overall problem and what do we want to do in which which steps and we reshuffled that but that really was the, the core of the of the project proposal and i think in the uh, um in the final project uh, proposal still contains elements of the of the narrative um concept that we uh, developed in the beginning so it, it's fleshed out and reverted a little bit but it's actually there's, there's, there's some yeah self plagiarism in here, um, so it survived, and the work packages were um, yeah also more or less the structure uh, survived um, as we as we started devising it. So we finished our proposal writing. How was it the last fourteen days? So the proposal submission, you had a pre-proposal check by the NCP point in Austria. You had a pre-proposal check um, from the grant acquisition office. All the partners already gave their feedback. How were your 14 days before submission? Yeah, again, um, I, well, I, I remember the last day because I was actually on at a workshop. Um, so the submission day was at a workshop, and I saw that there were several repeat um, submissions of the same proposal, and I <laughs> I started to get a little bit worried. And uh, I think in 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 the in the early morning hours, I had uploaded my version, and then uh, there were two or three uh, other submission, and one was just half an hour before the. The, the, dead, uh, the, the call deadline at, at five o'clock, and I still had this, this, um, this, these memories of my very first proposal, where we tried to upload an annex um, to the participant portal, and then it was just a one-page annex instead of a proposal that we uploaded. <laughs> that was my 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 very first proposal under under FP six, and we could replace it and. Um, yeah, uh, but that still was a, so that original traumatic experience still lingered on, and so that that was my last day when I was actually quite active in a workshop. But you know, uh, you you always get these alerts by by email, and otherwise it it was it, it was memories of uh, yeah having to cut down and and we just. Uh, I don't know how many times we actually went over the text really fight for words and and commas and uh, remove uh, remove additional words to to reach the page limit and and uh, you can cannot really play around with with the smaller fonts but doing different uh, graphics and that was one cutting exercise and the other was the budget which was uh fairly unclear um well in in the details uh until 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 late and um yeah so it it was it was hectic and uh, long working hours and a big relief when it was all over anna can you still remember your last 14 days yes i do remember them as hell on earth <laughs> my 
biorhythm was completely wrecked. Um, I, I told you before that we had this crazy idea of submitting the whole proposal um, two weeks prior, one week prior to, to Easter holiday. That did, of course, not work out. But um, all the partners decided nevertheless to go on Easter holiday and not to be available anymore. Um, besides the project manager. So he was really great. And as I said before, in the end, the two of us managed the whole um, thing between us. Um, and Angel, he was my project manager. He by then had become part of my daily routine. So that's also something I remember very clearly. His calls, his voice messages, uh, his SMS. Um, how are you? Always asking, are you okay? Are you fine? Before we started talking about the project, always being very considerate about how I was that very day. Um, I also had to shorten the the, uh, the proposal, but I have good memories regarding that because by then we were done basically with everything. So it was an easy exercise for me to shorten also because I didn't have as many pages to cut as Albert. Um, and the same was for the budget. This was like easy decisions. Okay, you take 10K away from there, et cetera, et cetera. This was like, that's, that was the easy part in the end. Um, I don't really remember who pushed the button. We did also multiple submissions to be on the safe side. Um, I think it was me, at least I witnessed the pushing the button. Um, I saw it on the screen, so it might also have been my project manager. I could have outsourced that to him to be on the safe side, but I saw it on the screen, so we kind of did it together. <laughs> and um, yeah, after that was done, I felt elated, but could not really believe that it was over and finished and really handed in in time um, because it was a really, really intense time from February to April 2022, the last two months, the last two weeks. Um, and the last two weeks were basically the, the time in which most writing and then rewriting uh, was done. So this is why I called the whole thing hell on earth, um, but it was definitely worth it. I would do it again. Thank you so much, you both. Um, it's really nice to actually hear again this process from your proposal preparations when I actually also was included. Um, I was really emotional too, <laughs> especially with Albert one, um, because I, I remember the time when your proposal manager asked me um, to give feedback on, on the tables. And I was like, yeah, probably you should include it as JPEG and not as PDF. And she's like, no. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> But it was so cool. It was a great time and I really appreciate it to be a part of this team. So to summarize now, I kindly ask you both to provide our listeners with two practical quick tips each for the preparation of their proposal. Anna, you start. I start with um, get every support you can from family, friends, colleagues, grant acquisition, FFG, proposal managers, anything you can get. You need it. Albert. And that goes into the same direction. Um, make resources, make time resources available to get this done. It's it's not an easy process. Actually, we uh, I think we spent about six person months uh, on writing this this uh, proposal. So you have to do that, and for that you need to get um, yeah support. Anna, there to do it. Albert. And you have to keep control over it. Perfect. Thank you so much, you both. Anna and Albert, um, for your time and for joining us today for our second episode. Dear listeners, uh, for more information about the work of Anna and Albert, please follow the link in the footnotes and visit their profile at University for Continuing Education, Krems. For further information about Horizon Europe and explanation about the funding program, please visit the InfoWiki website of the Grant Acquisition Office at uh, our university. I really thank you very much for listening and wish you good luck with your proposal preparation. <music>